Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I want to preach a message entitled, Just Who Is in Charge? Just Who Is in Charge? We're going to enter in and also look at verse 11 today, not going very far. Just who is in charge? You ever notice how an immature child will test you to see who's in charge? I mean, they'll just do what they can do to see what they can get away with. And finally, you just have to yank that leash and jerk a knot in their head to get them straight. Well, in a very similar way, the church of Corinth was a very immature church. So whatever was going on, you can rest assured God was not in control. They were in control. And what the Apostle Paul is doing in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is setting the record straight as to who really is in control. The last time together, we saw, saw in verse 10 a biblical definition of tongues. What is that? The term various kinds of tongues found in verse 10 of chapter 12 was referring to known, understandable languages. Languages that could be understood and therefore translated. They were understandable to somebody. They could be translated. The word various is not in the text, but as you saw last week or the last time we were together, it's implied in the text because the word kinds is the Greek word gene. And gene is the word we get the word genealogy from. It means families of, groups of kinds, and therefore translated kinds. We have the Latin languages, we have the Semitic, we have the Germanic, we have the Hispanic. They all fit into a certain kind of known, understandable languages. Now the word tongues is plural, and that's important. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Glossun, it comes from glossais and means languages, again, that can be understood and spoken. So the phrase various kinds of tongues means various families of known, understandable languages. You see, God has never spoken to His people in a language somebody could not understand because God is seeking to reveal Himself to the hearts of men. In fact, we must look back at Pentecost and find out what it was that He wanted understood when those languages were spoken, even languages unfamiliar to the apostles that were speaking them. Look back there with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, breaking right in the middle of a paragraph. I want you to see what it is that they understood. Remember the key to Pentecost was not the speaking but the hearing. Each man heard in his own language. What is it that God wanted him to hear? 
Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. And again, breaking right into the middle of a paragraph, it says, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues or languages speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The mighty deeds of God. Now, what mighty deeds of God would there have been that those languages would be communicating on the day of Pentecost? Remember, Pentecost was the inauguration of the new covenant. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is right after his ascension. And he says, I will send to you another comforter. And when the Holy Spirit came to live in the hearts of men, that was the beginning of the new covenant for which we have been engrafted into. And so the, 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 the mighty deeds was salvation, the gospel, how a person can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. This news was being broadcast in every known language of that day. In Acts chapter 10, look over there, Acts chapter 10, they were exalting God in other languages, not their own for salvation, and evidently understandable by others, not in some ecstatic, erratic tongue that nobody has ever spoken. Acts 10 and verse 46. It says in verse 46 of Acts 10, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Now how did they know they were exalting God? Because evidently somebody understood the languages they were speaking. Why would they be exalting God? Because they just got saved. That was the whole point. Look over in Acts 19. There is no other point in these passages. This is the beginning of the new covenant. This is salvation. This is the completion. This is when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. When we get saved, it happens immediately. But this was the beginning of that. The Holy Spirit was with them in the Old Testament. Now the Holy Spirit has come to live in them. Acts 19. When they had received salvation, they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Now you know that prophesy has three meanings. One is that foretelling, that supernatural. One is that, that instantaneous revelation that somebody might have to give to somebody. But it has to be here in its most general and generic sense, which means to tell forth. They prophesied what? What did they tell forth in other languages? Acts 19.6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They began to tell forth the message of salvation. This was what all of this was about. The outline for Acts is found in the first chapter in Judea and then in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And you see the gospel getting out to the languages of the people so that they can understand what Christ had done for them on the cross. Now this is why I call this, these two gifts that are found there in verse 10, the gift of of tongues or languages, various kinds of tongues, and then also the, the gift of interpretation, singular, of tongues, plural. I call that the evangelistic gifts. The only reason I can find in Scripture for a person speaking in another language, the only reason I can find is so that others might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Known, understandable languages. Glosses, tongues, plural. Now, we must note, as I said earlier, it is in the plural. It is in the plural. Matter of fact, every time you find it, except in one place, it's in the plural. And I'm going to show you that one place. But first of all, let's make sure we understand that in Acts, every time this phenomenon took place of languages that the people did not understand themselves, but somebody else did, every time it happened was tongues, plural. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 3. It's going to take us a little while. We're going to get your fingers real nimble. Be a good time to learn the books of the Bible. Acts chapter 2. Let's just make sure we see this for ourselves. I want you to mark it in your Bible. Plural. Every time it's used. 
Acts chapter 2 and verse 3. And a couple of these verses we've already read, so when I hit them, you'll, you'll be familiar with them. But it says in verse 3, And there appeared to them tongues, plural, as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, plural, languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance or ability to speak. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 2. And we read this a while ago, but you'll see it again. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues. Our own tongues, plural. Acts 10, verse 46. Acts 10, verse 46. Verse 46 says, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues, plural, and exalting God. Acts 19 and verse 6. Now we've Read them and I'm going to read them again. <laughs> but I want you to see something different this time. Acts 19 and verse 6. This is every single time in Acts that it's found. It's plural. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with what? Tongues. Plural. Now you say, now Wayne, what in the world? What are you doing? Is that important? Oh yes, it is very, very important. Turn to the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians and I'll show you. In this chapter, what we're going to see that was going on in Corinth was not tongues, plural. It was a tongue, singular. A tongue, singular. As a matter of fact, in most translations it says unknown. Unknown is written in italics because what it's trying to get across is this, this, this thing that was going on in Corinth was not anything like what Paul is talking about in chapter 12 and verse 10 when he speaks of languages that people can know and can understand. It's a tongue. It was an erratic speech of some kind, a gibberish that nobody could understand. A tongue, singular. They were speaking that way. By the way, it, it really struck of and reminds you of what was going on 30 miles from town at the Oracles of Delphi. And we introduced chapter 12. Hopefully you understood that, that this was something they used to have been in and evidently it's crept right back into the church. Chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue, singular. Verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And remember back in verse 7 of chapter 12, he says the gifts are not for personal edification, they're for the building up of the whole body, for the edification of everybody. He says he only edifies himself. Verse 13 of chapter 14. He says, therefore let one who speaks in a tongue Pray that he may interpret because he hadn't got a clue what he's saying. Verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It does not work at all because it doesn't have a clue what's going on again. Verse 19 of chapter 14. However, in the church, he says, I desire to speak five words with my mind. He refers now to understanding what he's saying, that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in what? A tongue. Verse 26, and, and I can't wait till you get there because in chapter 14, verse 26, there's a hypothetical situation that Paul brings up. It's kind of like if Superman walked in the back door type thing. And you say, well, that can't happen. Well, that's kind of what's going on here, but I'm not going to get into it this morning. That's for a later time. I've got too many other things to say. He says in verse 26 of chapter 14, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each one has a teaching. Evidently, they just get up and do whatever. Has a, one has a revelation, one has a tongue, 
And then he says, one has a, an interpretation. That's interesting, since they can't be interpreted. Let all things be done for edification, building up. Now, look at verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue. Now, you have got to see this as a, as a significant thing. Because every time tongues, Paul says, I thank my God I speak in tongues, plural, more than you. But when he refers to them, it's singular. When he refers to himself or the gifts that, that God has chosen to give from time to time, languages and the ability to translate those languages so that the gospel can get out, he, when he speaks of that, they're known, understandable languages. They are in the plural. And there is a direct difference with what's going on in Corinth and, and what we know of in chapter 12 and verse 10. It's interesting to point out that in all the gifts listed in verse 9 and, and 10 there, most of them are plural. In, in chapter 12, except for the interpretation singular of tongues. And why is that? Because there can only be one translation of any one language, only one translation of a language. And the most confusing thing you can ever be around is when somebody would stand up and give a gibberish or something like that and somebody give an interpretation, somebody else give another interpretation. There can only be one interpretation, one translation to any one language. Well, the biblical definition of tongues, and I don't back down from it because I believe Scripture supports it. Now, you check it out. You be the Berean. I mean, you, you, I'm, not, I'm not the last word on any of this kind of stuff. I'm growing. I'm learning, and so are you. But everything I can find in Scripture is I throw up a red flag is that tongues, when he mentioned in Scripture in the plural, means a known, understandable language. And that's all we're really going to say about it right now because that's all Paul says about it until chapter 14. So you just have to sort of rest the rest of it until you get there. Put it on a shelf, but let the context continue to build. You're, you're trying not to find out about tongues. You're trying to find out about what is Paul doing in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Once you get that down, everything else will make sense. Now we're going to push a little further today. Paul has clearly pointed out that God does manifest himself through his, his people. Yes, he does. He does manifest himself, and he gives gifts to his people. Through some, he gives the equipping gifts, and evidently there were people speaking in Corinth. Everything he mentions was, had something to do with what was going on in Corinth. Remember that. He's not teaching gifts. He's correcting error. And so he says, yes, he does give some equipping gifts, but it's always according to the word of God, and it's with the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge. And to others, he does some things that are just, woo, they're just kind of hard to understand. They're extraordinary things. And it starts with faith, gifts of healings, uh, the gifts of, of miracles, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits. But then through some, yes, 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 God has manifested himself and he chooses sometimes to give them a language that they, they don't know or they do know, but so that they can speak it to another culture and another language. But he also gives people the interpretation of that language, the ability to translate that language. But now listen, but none of these things are done by the simple will of man. Now we've got to understand this. Corinth was an immature baby church that would test anybody to see who's in charge. And what Paul is saying is, listen, let me tell you something straight out. If you're in the church of Jesus Christ, you are not in charge. Your emotions are not in charge. Your flesh is not in charge. God is in charge. So just who is in charge is what Paul's saying here. And he's trying to set the record straight that what God does, and he is in charge, is not going to look like what was going on in Corinth. Now in verse 11, he brings us full circle. I love the way he does this. He starts off with the giver, and now he comes full circle back to the giver. He leaves the gifts. You know what? I feel like sometimes when we have taught on gifts, perhaps we have made a huge mistake of, of making too much of the gifts and not making enough of the giver. 
That is the key to living the Christian life. It's not just in knowing your gift. Listen, your, your gift means nothing if you're not connected properly to the giver. And so Paul brings them back to that very truth. And you watch the flow as we go on through chapter 12. What he continues to do, continues to bring you back to the giver, not to the gift. Verse 11, but one and the selfsame spirit, the way that should be translated, works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And there are two things that I want you to see this morning before our, our time goes, and that's all we're going to look at, just two things. First of all, I want you to see how Paul points us back to the person of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the person of the Holy Spirit this morning. This is important. Now, in the deepest sense, believers do not utilize the gifts that they have. You don't really use your gift. In the deepest sense, now understand what I'm saying. In the deepest sense, it's the Holy Spirit of God who causes them to work. It's the Holy Spirit of God who chooses when they'll work. And it's never for my emotional gratification. It's for God's eternal and redemptive purposes. He's in charge of the gifts he gives. He's in charge of the manifestations that he chooses to manifest. The Holy Spirit, the giver of the gifts, is a person. Now listen to me. Why is that important? Because he's not an emotion. He's not an influence and he's not a force, as Star Wars would tell us. The force be with you. He is a person, and he is God, and he is fully God. Many of you do not know Gray Aiken. I don't think Gray's in the service today. I don't know Gray. It's just a precious friend and was on the pulpit committee when I came here. I don't know how old he is, but he's older than what he would want me to tell you. I, I kid him all the time. I say, you know, he's 10 days older than dirt. I mean, he's, 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 down, he's down the road, but he's doing great. He's doing great. Works three days a week. But Gray told me one day, he called me Sonny Boy when I first came here. He said, now, Sonny Boy, Sonny Boy, come here. Sonny Boy, come here. He said, when you speak of the Holy Spirit, I don't think people understand that you're talking about God. He said, I know you understand that, but maybe they don't understand it. So when you say the Holy Spirit, say God, the Holy Spirit. And I love what he said because that is exactly right. When you speak of the Holy Spirit as a person, you're speaking of God, fully God. He's totally God. And he's in charge of what he does in a person's life when it comes to manifestations and gifts. As a matter of fact, everything he does in us is a gift. The word he in the phrase he wills. Look, look there in verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributed to each one individually as he wills. Now, actually, that word he is not there because it's not masculine in that particular verse. It's in the neuter, which has more to do with what he does than who he is. But it's implied because if you look at John 16 and verse 13, there it is, right there. Jesus himself calls him the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the Holy Spirit. Look over in John 16 and verse 13. I want you to see this. This is what Jesus said. This is not my word. It's in red, so it must be inspired. <laughs> I always say that. I had a person ask me one time, so you mean the red part's inspired? Is that right, Brother Wayne? Yeah, I think the maps are inspired. But anyway, it, yeah, it's inspired. You're okay. Jesus speaking to his disciples, John 16, verse 13. This is really good. Now, this is his promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, but when he, now that word, word he is masculine and it is singular here, referring to a person. When he the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but what he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. 
Now you see, the, the Lord Jesus himself identifies that his replacement that's coming will be the Holy Spirit living in us, the Spirit of Christ, as we'll see in a little bit, and that he is a person. He's not an emotion. He's not an influence. He's not a force. He is God, personified. He is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, again, why is that important? Because if he were an emotion, he were an influence, or he were the force, you could be in control of him. But since he is God, the third person of the Trinity, he must be in control of you. And that's the first thing that has to start. That's why he takes us back to the giver. You are never in control of a gift, neither am I. You are not in control of a manifestation, neither am I. It has to be him. He's God. He's a person. He's God. And he's absolutely in control of what he gives and what he manifests. Now, we must understand that there are three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the what? Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, three persons in the Godhead. And they're all equals. <laughs> this just boggles my mind when I preach it because I preach it as if I fully grasp it. you kidding? I just trust it by faith. I don't fully grasp the Trinity. If you do, would you talk to me afterward? In, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, just one of the verses. There's so many verses. They're all equated. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They're all three, equal. And there's only one God, but there's three persons. So the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Christ still lives in each of us in the person of His Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. And I'll ask the Father, He'll give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That word another, alas, another of exactly the same kind. <laughs> It'll be the Holy Spirit. It'll be me. It'll be the Father. No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's the Spirit of Christ. It's amazing how many people try to figure out the Trinity. Have you heard them do it? Some people take an egg and they'll say, here's a shell. That's like the Father. And here's the white. And that's like the Son. And here's the yolk. And that's like the Spirit. And that's like the Trinity. When I was growing up, I said, oh, boy, that's good. That's good. That's really good. I, I got that answer in vacation Bible school. Until I started studying Scripture and found out something. Nope, I'm sorry. That won't cut it. In the Trinity, the egg, the white of the egg is God, fully God, with or without the yolk in the shell. The shell is God, with or without the white in the yolk. And the yolk is God, with or without the white in the shell. You say, whoa, that's heavy. Yeah, it is, over my head. <laughs> that's just the Trinity. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit of God, you're speaking of Christ, and you're also speaking of the Father, however, in the, in the personality of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and there's no jealousy in the Trinity. I was in a conference down in Mississippi, and a guy came up to me and said, man, you've offended me, and you've offended the Holy Spirit. And I wasn't worried about him. I was worried about the Holy Spirit. How did I offend him? He said, you said Jesus was the only well that you had. Isn't it amazing how many people have Holy Spirit conferences because they feel like the Holy Spirit's getting a bum rap? There's no jealousy in the Trinity. The Father gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the Spirit. The Spirit turns around and gives it back to the Father. The Father gives it to Jesus it's because it's only one God. Now, this boggles your mind, but when you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you have the Spirit of Christ in your life. The life of God comes into you in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Man, the point is that He's a person. He's a person. He's God, and He's in charge. He's in charge. So you better hook up to Him. Don't you hook up to what people say that He does or doesn't do. You hook up to Him because He's the one the divine intelligence of God 
that does what he does through a believer's life according to a predetermined plan in the Godhead for the purposes of eternal redemptive things. That's what God does. Now, he wills the gifts and he wills the manifestations of God to men. Just because somebody needs an emotional fix, he's not at your beck and call. Because he's not an emotion, he's not an influence. That's why it always is never him bending to us except at salvation. It's us receiving him and it's us getting lined up under him, you see. That's the key. Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Vulame. Vulame means as he wishes, as he desires. Not as we desire, but as he desires. And the point is in the context, it would point to the uneven, sometimes sporadic ways in which he distributes the gifts. He does it according to a divine plan. He does it according to a divine purpose. He's representing the Father. He's representing the Son. And what He does through us, He's in charge of that. Now, you see what Paul is doing. He's trying to set the record straight. What's going on in Corinth? A bunch of babies trying to question who's in authority. He said, now listen, when God does it, it's not going to look like what it looks like in Corinth. Gifts are not to satisfy, satisfy man's emotional makeup, but they're to fulfill the purposes of of God. Whatever manifestation one has, if it's truly of God the Holy Spirit, it must bear the mark of the character of the very person of God upon it. It must flow out of the divine intelligence and the purpose of God. And he said, Wayne, you have hung around there for a while. You're going to say something, aren't you? Yes, I am. I told you this illustration before, but I tried to find another one and I racked my brain, but I cannot find another one that's any better. So I just apologize. You're going to have to hear it twice. If you got a hammer that nails a nail, don't throw the hammer away. When a nail pops up, just use the same old hammer. Because this is what I'm trying to explain to you, folks. This is where people get messed up. This is where people get messed up. But I want to tell you something. When you become a Christian, you no longer are in a judgment seat of telling God what He's going to do or not to do. He, it's, the Christian life is not you getting your will on heaven, I mean on earth, done in heaven. Prayer is not something that starts with you. Prayer starts with God. Prayer, what, what our whole purpose is, is God's will in heaven being done on earth, which takes a decreasing, which takes a dying to self, which takes a constant brokenness in our life, submitting, surrendering, 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 surrendering to who He is and what only He wants. Years ago, when the Toronto Blessing started, remember that? It's kind of died down in some areas. Some areas it's not. It depends on where you are, really. It's in South Africa, Australia. It's funny, as we go around the world from time to time, we see it in South Africa. It's, not, it's something else. It's always the same old message, but it's got a different front to it, and people don't have, have enough sense to see through that. But when the Toronto Blessing came out, laughing in the Spirit, that's supposed to be a new phenomenon of what the Holy Spirit of God does through people to manifest Himself through people. Very emotional time. Matter of fact, accompanied with it. If you've never seen it, you need to see what goes along with it. People down on all fours barking like dogs, down on all fours roaring like lions, and they're saying, this is the Holy Spirit of God. Don't question us because we love Jesus. Well, I was at a conference up here at Covenant College on Lookout Mountain, and we do it in the summertime, youth conference. and had about 600 kids up there, and I don't know how many groups. And right in the middle of it, I don't know if it was just me, my flesh, or whether it was the Lord or what, but I've been troubled with this one thing for a long time. 
And I don't know what we were in. I don't think we were talking about deception, but we might have been. But somehow, right in the middle of a sentence, I stopped. And I did something I rarely ever do. And I said this statement, the Toronto blessing, right. Very disdaining, very, I really put it down quick. Well, I did not know what I had just done. I had just taken a grenade and thrown it right over into one of the groups because they came there wanting to let us know of this new thing the Spirit of God was doing in their midst. <laughs> one boy hit me right after it was over with. He said, man, you have ruined my worship. And I'm thinking, how do you ruin somebody's worship? And I said, what do you mean? He said, man, this is the thing that's happened to me. It's, boy, emotionally, he said, it's letting me know that God really does love me. This is the thing that I know that God's in my life. Wow. Tell the Apostle John that in the epistle of 1 John. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. It's not found there, folks. Well, I had to deal with it all week long. Man, I tell you, I, I, two people in Scripture I remind myself, I can, I can resemble or relate to, but put it that way. It's Jonah and Simon Peter. That's not a very good resume. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Peter had his foot in his mouth half the time, but I, I had to deal with it all week long. I mean, I made that one statement in the second message, and man, I had, oh, son, I dealt with it all week long. But a friend of mine came to me in that conference. He said, Wayne, I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, who do you think you are to tell us that God can't manifest himself through our lives that way? Who are you? Who do you think you are? I said, okay, go ahead. He said, the Holy Spirit is like an emotion. That's what caught my attention. And I said, he is. He said, that's right. He said, it's like anger. I have anger. My wife has anger. My three children have anger. And when we express that anger, then every one of us express it in different ways. Some hold it in. Some blow it out. Some do different things. And he said, just like they can express, they're free to express their anger in a certain way, then we're also free to express the Holy Spirit the way we are. He said, you have no right to tell us that's not of the Holy Spirit of God. And my only answer to him was this, and I, I don't, haven't changed it this morning, and I'm not the last word. I told you a million times I'm not the authority, and I keep saying that. You be the Berean. You get in, check it out for yourself. But here's what I told him. I said, the flaw in your argument, which only works in a barbershop, by the way, the flaw in your argument is the Holy Spirit of God is not an emotion. And what he does is characterized from this page to page. One covenant, another covenant. And what he does, he speaks of Christ. He manifests Christ. If he gets on his knees and barks, then I'll bark with him. If he gets on his knees and roars, I'll roar with him. But you cannot say that he'll step outside the predictable, consistent pattern in Scripture. We've got to understand something, folks. When God is in charge... People don't do what their emotions tell them to do. They do what their will is led to do and they bow before him. Repent before him. What we're seeing happening today, which was also going on in Corinth, were people who had taken charge. And when people take charge, the result is nothing more than absolute havoc, confusion, and as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.12 and in elsewhere, there are divisions among you. It divides. It does not unite. He's a person. He's the person of God. He is God. And he is in charge. He is in charge. My whole life is, 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 is to live surrendered to the one who's in charge. He's not concerned about my emotional instability at any time. He's not concerned about what I feel. 
He's concerned about a choice that I'm going to make because that choice is either going to be to surrender to him or to go the way of my flesh. And that was what was going on in Corinth. The person of the Holy Spirit of God. But secondly, the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God. Man, to me this is so clear, and I guess because I've studied it, but it's just so clear to me. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. There are two phrases there. Works all these things. Secondly, distributing to each one as he wills. Now, what's the purpose? Why does he do that? As he wills. What's, what's, the, what's the plan behind this? What is it that shapes the desires of God? What is it he's out to do? Now, Paul is going to tie the distributing of the gifts and the manifestations and the working of the Spirit in verse 11. He's going to tie that to the body of Christ and its function in verse 12. Now, watch this carefully. Look at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, you know the picture here. I don't have to illustrate it, the parts of the body. I wonder if your heart ever gets upset because there's only one of it and two of the lungs. <laughs> but there's different parts to our body, different members to our body, and yet it's only one body, only one body. Everything that goes on in my body is not for the sake of itself. It's for the sake of the whole body, okay? If my liver quits today, then it kills the whole body. It doesn't matter how functional everything else is. If my kidneys give up, that kills the whole body. If my heart stops beating, it kills the whole body. Everything else may be healthy. So the whole purpose of the member of a body is never for itself, but always for the benefit of the whole body. Now, he says the same way is Christ, his body. His body is one. Now, in other words, there are many members in the body of Christ. There are many functions in the body of Christ. There are many gifts. There are manifestations. But there's never a manifestation given here or given here that doesn't somehow enhance the visibility of the body of Christ. Now, Christ still lives on planet Earth. He lives in the bodies of those who have received him as their Lord and Savior. And each one of us make up a certain function in the body of Christ. So whatever happens to me is not just to me. It happens to me for the benefit of the whole body. Remember verse 7 of chapter 12. That's what he's been trying to say. Now, the Lord Jesus lives in us in the person of his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, let me just read it to you. He says, and I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now we've said, we've, we've read that verse. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Then he says in verse 18, and listen to these words. He just told you that the Holy Spirit's coming to live in you. Then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. I thought the Holy Spirit's going to come to me. Now I'm confused. Now you see, that's where you've got to go back to what we've just covered. The person of the Holy Spirit is God. He's fully God. Christ, when I have the Holy Spirit, I have Christ, I have the Father. I have all of God that I'm ever going to get when the Spirit of God comes to live in my life. Now, you study Revelations and it says in chapter 5 that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne and the, the Father sits on the throne. Well, but He's also in us. How's He in us? In the person of the Holy Spirit. He's, and, and then and listen, the Holy Spirit lives in me to do one thing. Never to bring attention to himself, but to manifest Christ. He says in John 14, 14, he says, He shall 
glorify me. Now what I'm trying to get you to see, and I think, and you're going to see is Paul continues to tie it together. If Christ lives in me, he's manifesting himself through me by that which the Holy Spirit gifts or manifests through me. The Holy Spirit's the agent that manifests the very life of Christ to others. It's not to glorify the Spirit, and it's certainly not to glorify me, but it's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring recognition back to him. See, there were many spirits in Corinth, and they were causing all kinds of, all kinds of extraordinary things going on in Corinth, but they were not the Holy Spirit of God. The end result was there was division and there was strife and there was confusion. And that automatically negates the fact that it was Christ. When Christ is in us, his proven character will be manifest through us. And the Holy Spirit's the one who does that. So anything that happens to me, whether it be in a service, whether it be wherever, it's, it's for not just for me, it's for the benefit of the whole body. And it's for the benefit that Christ might be manifested in that body. He uses an infinitive there in verse 11. He says he works all these things. That's an infinitive. An infinitive is always there to express a purpose for something. It says the verb works is, is energeo. It means he actually causes it to happen. The Holy Spirit does. And the purpose behind what he causes to happen is, as we just said, so that Christ would be manifested through us. Let me show you this a different way. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20. This is totally... Totally another illustration, just to maybe come at it a different way. <clears throat> you say, well, Brother Wayne, what's happening to me in my prayer closet? Because something's going on, and it doesn't fit with anything you've said so far. And my answer to you is, first of all, that I love you deeply in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know, secondly, I haven't got a clue what's happening to you. But what I'm trying to tell you is in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you cannot fit whatever's happening to you in those three chapters. Wherever you're going to fit it, fit it someplace else. Whatever experience you say you're having, then I, I can't deny that experience, although I can say that that experience does not in any way validate Scripture. Scripture must validate that experience, and it doesn't fit in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. <clears throat> He says in verse 20, just, a, just a sort of a statement you sometimes read and just miss it. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And by the way, he says this to the Corinthian church. Do you realize that the word ambassador is also the word we get elderly or aged person from? The idea suggestive here is a mature person. And do you realize a person is only, only attached to his flesh and to gifts and to all this other kind of stuff? Do you realize that person cannot in any way be an ambassador for Christ? He cannot represent Christ because he's not attached to Christ? It's not for the immature, it's for the mature. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God, listen, as though God were entreating through us. In other words, yes, we came to you and, and we preached to you and we entreated you, but it wasn't us. It was Christ in us, it was God in us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, He was entreating others through us, you see. That's the work of the Spirit. If I, if I take my coat off and my shirt's all, all wet and that's all right. But look, and I hang it there. And I say, come on, come on, sleeve, do something. Come on, come on. Come on, stupid, do something. And it just hangs there. Why can't it do anything? Because it's got to have life in it to do it. The Holy Spirit is the life of Christ that has come into us. And I can say to the sleeve now, do it. And it does it. But it's not because of the sleeve. It's because of the life that is in the sleeve which draws attention to the one whose life it is. It's exactly why the Holy Spirit lives in us. 
And if he manifests something through you, it's not to give you an emotional high. It's to draw people around you, never to you, never to the Holy Spirit, but to the Lord Jesus Christ through you. That's his whole work. That's his purpose. Romans 15, 17, and 18, Paul says, Therefore in Christ Jesus I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. And that's good for him because most of his life before he became a believer he knew how to boast in things pertaining to himself. And verse 18 says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ, I thought Christ was at the right hand of the Father, what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, I'm just giving you those two illustrations. That's what he's trying to tell them in 1 Corinthians 12. When God is in charge, then the Holy Spirit will be, yes, he'll manifest. Yes, he'll give gifts, but it'll be for manifesting the life of Jesus Christ. The body parts never do anything for the sake of the part. They do it for the sake of the body. Matter of fact, the word body there. You know what a body is for? A body is to draw attention to the entity that lives within it. I love my son. I tell you, Stephen, I, I really miss him. I really miss him. Matter of fact, I have wept at night just missing him. He, don't tell him that. But I miss him. He's 25. And when I get to see him, I want to hug him. And you know how 25-year-olds are, boys. They don't want you to hug them. But when I can finally get him to settle down long enough, it's nothing more precious to me than take that big old body, 6'6", <laughs> six, six, and lay his head over on my shoulder and just stroke his head because I remember when he was little and I'd carry him around and how much I missed that. I miss it. I love to see him grow up, but I miss that part in my life. But when I'm in my private times and I'm thinking of my son, I'm thinking of a great big old long, tall drink of water. I'm thinking of a grin that goes from absolutely ear to ear. I'm thinking of those long legs that we never could find pants long enough for him. I'm thinking about shoes that I don't think he'll ever quit growing in his feet. And I'm thinking of a body that doesn't point to just to the body. It points to the entity that lives within it. And Paul is trying to show the Corinthian church, if you're so attached to your flesh and your emotions that you would even split the whole place over your experience, if you'd split the whole place over your emotional moment, he says, you in no way in this world are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. For when he's in charge, he manifests the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This body that we are as a church is only to bring recognition to the Lord Jesus that lives in us. And the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to make certain that that takes place. If you make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit's an influence or an emotion, you realize what you've done. You have now put yourself in control and no longer is he in charge of what's happening. One can clearly see he distributes, he works as he wills. He is not there for any of our emotional satisfaction. I'll tell you what, there have been some experiences in my life. I've never spoken in tongues, uh, in, in an ecstatic tongue or something. I've never in some of these things, but I've had some precious moments with the Lord. Those that I just don't feel free to share them with you this morning. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when was it Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus said, go and tell how many people? No one. But I want to tell you something. When you have an emotional moment, the first thing you want to do is run and tell somebody and they want to build the denomination on it. 
but we haven't learned yet that those precious times that God may give to us, and I don't have, I don't have any right to tell you what they're going to be in your private time with him or between you and him and him alone and must always somehow fit the grid of what Scripture says. But there'll be precious times to you. There'll be precious times to you. But you'll never tell anybody because they're just in your walk with him. The Holy Spirit, when he manifests himself, does it not for your personal edification, even though there are times you are personally edified. He does it for the edification of others and for the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ in and through our lives. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Be ye being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the whole thing. Be always under His control. Let Him be in charge. Him be in charge. When you get in charge and man gets in charge, that's where you see all the garbage that comes around and Christ in no way is represented by what's going on. Anything else is the sick church of Corinth. Let me conclude with saying this. When a church is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, which will only be when the Holy Spirit is manifesting the character of Christ through them, there will be unity because Christ unifies through His Spirit. Ephesians 4.3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There'll be fellowship, a general sharing together. Why? Because he manifests fellowship through his spirit. It, it, it says in Philippians 2.1, if, and it should be translated since there is, there be therefore any consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. If the Christ is in control, there'll be worship. People will sing praise, talk praise, and live praise to Christ. Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. There'll be a mutual willingness to submit to Christ in one another, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It'll be a loving, it'll be a loving type uh, group of people. For Christ manifests Himself through the love that His Spirit produces. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, out of which comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. The church will be obedient to the leadership that the Lord has established. Hebrews 16, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It'll minister to others. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister and on and on and on. And what's going on in Corinth has nothing to do with God. Because God's not in control of that group. They have taken it in control of themselves. And division, confusion, and havoc is the end result of when flesh is in control. Just who is? in charge. Let me ask you a question as we finish the message this morning. Is Jesus in control of Woodland Park Baptist Church? The only way to answer that is to say this. Is Jesus in control of you, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me? That's the only way to answer that. If we walk out of here surrendered to Him, we're going to see this body never draw attention to being Southern Baptist, never draw attention to its preacher, never drawing attention to anything else, just drawing attention to Jesus Christ who's being manifested by the work and the will of the Holy Spirit of God. Just who is in charge. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. 
That's jashow.org. 